class this morning in college and career was giving a gospel presentation to Muslims. And so uh, I would encourage my class to go by the display and uh, ask your questions uh, of Brother Tim and his wife about how do you share the gospel with Muslims. We have quite a Muslim population around us. And um, it is very likely that more and more we are going to be coming in direct contact with and be able to build relationships with Muslims. And one of the things we talked about in our Sunday school class is that they are very hospitality oriented. And so to invite them into your home, to share a meal, to get to know them and to befriend them often is a way of God opening the door to begin to share with them the gospel. And we were looking at this morning, starting in the Old Testament and, and looking at the Christ of the Old Testament and different things like that. So um, I trust that, that you guys in our class at least will go and talk to them about that, ask your questions, and uh, don't keep them too long because we do have to have our, our meeting uh, with the missions committee. And then, of course, they're heading back up to Greenville tonight. Please pray for safety for them. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6 tonight for a few minutes. We, for those of you that, that don't know, most of you do, so sorry to be repetitive, um, but we have in our bulletin a QR code where you can scan it and then you can fill out a suggestion card for subject that's, subjects you'd like to hear taught and preached on on Sunday nights. Uh, Pastor Blake's going to take um, a series uh, in the spring. Uh, Pastor Wyman's going to take a series in the spring. Uh, I've got come, one coming up in January, a three Sunday night series, and so uh, but right now I'm hitting some of the more individual ones. And one of them is, well, what about fasting? So we're going to look at fasting. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. And you can just keep your Bibles turned to there, although we're going to go to a lot of other passages of Scripture. They should be up on the screen. All right? And so I want to be very careful tonight uh, because um, I would not in any way want to appear um, to be boasting in myself. But at the same time, I want to just be able to share from experience what an incredible blessing this discipline of fasting has been in my own life. And I trust that it is a part of your spiritual walk as a Christian. I believe that it ought to be, and you'll see why tonight. Before we look in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be studying verses 16 to 18, let me give you a little bit of background the Jews were commanded in Leviticus to fast on the Day of Atonement. And then when Israel and Judah went into exile, they kind of added some different fast days. And so there, are, uh, there were national days of fasting, sometimes directly tied into repentance. The nation of Israel, repenting of sin as a nation, would fast and pray. So it was a, a national repentance. It was also an individual repentance as a part of that. Um, and, then they, and then everyone would fast. We even see, I think, in the New Testament uh, that there are sometimes groups that get together and they agree to come together to fast and to pray for a particular season over a particular issue. And so we're going to see some of that tonight. But this that Jesus is referring to is personal fasting and the word fast here that's used, the Greek word literally means to abstain from food. Okay? So we're going to look at some things tonight because Jesus connected prayer and fasting. He connected it in Mark chapter 9. We'll look at that. Cornelius 
We'll look at that in Acts chapter 10. Prayer and fasting are connected there. And then also in Acts chapter 13, where the, the, the church leadership, along with Paul and Barnabas, fasted and prayed. Um, and so fasting and praying are always connected in the scriptures, and we're going to look at that tonight. So we're just going to do this by questions. Well, what is fasting? Why should I fast? Uh, when should I fast and how should I fast? We're going to look at those four questions tonight. But first of all, let's read our text from Jesus' teaching on fasting, this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in verse 16 says, Moreover, when you fast, notice that. Jesus expects us to fast. It doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. You know how they disfigured their faces? Well, what was one of the ways that people showed outward repentance? What would they do when they repented? Remember Nineveh from the king all the way down. What did they do? They put on sackcloth. And sometimes they would put ropes on their head. Old, old raggedy ropes and, and sackcloth. And sometimes they would cover themselves in ashes. And that's what, that is what these Pharisees would often do. Because their whole outward religion, that's all it was. It was to impress people, to get people to admire them, to impress with other people how spiritual they were, maybe thinking that somehow God would also be impressed with how spiritual that they were. Because Jesus accused the Pharisees of going about trying to establish their own righteousness. The problem is, the Bible tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. But in order to disfigure their faces, not only they, they they would look, you know, drawn, you know, and they would look exhausted and famished and, and they, would, they would, you know, hang sackcloth down and they'd put so much ashes on their faces. Here they were doing it to be seen of men and Jesus says that and yet they were almost unrecognizable in the way that they went about because they wanted it to be very obvious that they were so spiritual because they were fasting. And Jesus says, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What is their reward? The temporal admiration of a few people. That's it. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face. Go about your normal hygienic routine so that you don't appear like you're fasting, okay? Um, Verse 18, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly or freely, we might say. Now, what is fasting? And these are just things that I've listed, okay? Um, things that um, I trust will be helpful to you. First is fasting is a time of dedicated, undistracted prayer and meditation. Okay? Second of all, fasting is an expression of dependency upon God. Prayer is an expression of dependency upon God. But as we look into when should I fast and some of the times, specific or special times when we fast, it is, it is a renewed or even deeper expression or reminder of our complete dependence upon God. Fasting also is an expression of a greater desire for God and eternal things than for temporal things, even if they are necessary things. And then fasting is sometimes an expression of great sorrow or repentance. Well, why should I fast it? Jesus expects it. I already referenced that in verse 16, when you fast, not if you fast. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, then came to him the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, 
saying, why do we and the disciples fast off, but thy disciples fast not? Is this not a normal part of your spiritual life? Why is this not a normal part of the disciples' spiritual life? Now, we know that John the Baptist and his disciples, that was a baptism of repentance. Those disciples, John the Baptist was going to turn them towards Messiah. He was the forerunner of Messiah. It was a baptism of repentance. And a whole, look, you need to change your mind. You cannot be saved by trying to keep the law. All of the law and all of the sacrificial system is to point you to Christ, to show you your need for Christ who will come, the Messiah, the promised one. And so I believe that John the Baptist, that his disciples were not fasting because they were trying to be pious show-offs like the hypocrites were. I believe this was a sincere part of their spiritually disciplined lives. And they asked this legit question. Why do, your, why do uh, uh, we, John the Baptist's disciples, and even the Pharisees fast, and yet your disciples don't fast? So Jesus answers them. Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. So Jesus is saying the disciples, the apostles will fast, okay? And so Jesus expects us. Jesus also himself fasted. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. You know, that's quite an understatement in the scriptures. I think if I fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I'd be starved. <laughs> But Jesus fasted and prayed. And one of the things we're going to look at is when we should fast is before we launch into a new phase of ministry or into a new area of ministry. And that was when Jesus was fasting. Fasting also is one way to discipline my body into subjection. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, Paul says, but I keep under my body. I keep it under and bring it into subjection. Lest that when I preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So it is one way of many in which we can discipline our body and bring it into subjection, again, for the purpose on focusing on biblical things and specifically to be dedicated in prayer. And then John Stott suggests that it is a way to do without in order to share what we might have eaten or the cost of that meal with somebody who is undernourished. I found that very challenging. I'd never really thought about that. He also says later on as he's commenting on this passage that's in a way that we can identify kind of in solidarity with those who are poor. And so, you know, I don't know about you, but there have been people that have these signs, we'll work for food, you know? And rather than challenge them and say, all right, come to my house and split a quart of wood and I'll feed you a meal, I haven't done that. But there have been times when I've said, hey, listen, that there is, that there's a McDonald's over there or there's a Chick-fil-A over there. I tell you what, come with me and, and I will buy you anything that you'd like to eat. Um, and then while they're eating, I witness to them, right? And, um, and so there's opportunities like that. But I didn't think, you know what, that's interesting, that I would purposely fast and do without setting aside that which, the, the money that I would have gone to, to, to go grab lunch or something and, and give that to somebody who may be in, in need of food. I think that there is kind of a misconception in our country that that is not a need, but it is a need. And um, one of the wonderful blessings we have is a benevolence fund. So it may be that maybe, and this is just an idea, okay? But this is just a suggestion. It may be that you have a certain amount allotted every month for eating out. 
and maybe you would take the price of one meal eating out and instead give that to the benevolence fund so that when there are people who come to us that are needing help, that we are able to give them help financially towards purchasing groceries so they can feed their family. That's just an idea. But that would be one way that you could purposefully and then also fast. And while you're fasting, pray and say, God, would you use the benevolence ministry and the deacons on our benevolence team that as they go to to find out about these needs and to help take care of these needs and share the gospel, that you would lead them in your Holy Spirit, uh, prepare the soil of the hearts of the people that they're going to help, that they would be open and receptive to the gospel. If they're brothers and sisters in Christ in need, then that we could encourage them and invest in their life spiritually. And so you take that and invest in that way. I found that a very interesting thing and and personally challenging. He cites uh, Isaiah 58 verses 6 and 7. It says God rebuking Israel again for nothing more than an outward observance of religious exercises and and not true. And, and And he points out God is confronting through Isaiah and pointing out the hypocrisy Uh, of Israel at this time. He says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness and undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? And so I think that there is a legitimate biblical grounds and I'd encourage you to meditate and think on that as making that a part of the purpose even. And, and that's not something that really has ever been on my radar, but when I was read that, I said, you know, I believe that is a biblical and legitimate aspect of fasting that I ought to consider and let that change the way I think about fasting. And then another reason why we should fast is there are examples of Bible characters throughout the scriptures that challenge us. And if they, in their walk with God, and they are written in eternal scripture, and they prayed and fasted, then who are we to think that we don't really need to fast and pray? So the next question, well, when should I fast? I think one of the obvious ones is when we're seeking God's guidance. In Acts chapter 10, verses 30 and 31, Cornelius had sent for Peter, okay? But when Peter comes, Cornelius shares this with him. He says, and and Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in mine house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Now, what was he specifically praying for? Was this just because he was a God-fearing Gentile uh, who was trying to just do the same things and trying to find God through doing the same religious things that the Jews were doing because he knew Yahweh, Jehovah, was the one true God. And so he was just kind of going along with that. No, 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 no. Because what was God's answer to his prayer? Remember, the angel tells him, go to Joppa, go to the house of one Simon the Tanner, ask for Simon Peter. He will declare to you the way of the Lord, what? more perfectly or completely. In other words, he's going to make, clarify the way of salvation. He's going to share with you the way of salvation. Man, Cornelius was so excited about that that when Peter comes uh, with, with, uh, with his, some of the other brethren from the church and comes to Cornelius' house, man, Cornelius says all his family and friends and a bunch of, I mean, he had a congregation. You know, he had a whole bunch of people there ready to hear the gospel. And of course, they responded to it and trusted Christ. But Cornelius was seeking for God's guidance and direction. Are there not times in your life when you need to fast and pray and seeking God's direction in your own life? 
You know, we're coming up to a new year already. Can you believe 2024 is almost over? I tell you, whoever said this was 2023, yeah, I know. Don't worry, Next, it'll, 2024 will be over before you know it too. We'll say, what? But you know what? Somebody said, you know, it, it, the older you get, the, time, the faster time goes by. It doesn't ever slow down. And you know, I thought, nah, you know, you're going to get to a certain limit and then it's all just kind of going to go along at the same rate of speed. Not true. It seems to go by faster and faster and faster. And, uh, but you know what? God is good. But we're coming into 2024. And you know what? We need some direction from the Lord in our families, in our marriages, in our businesses, in our ministries within our communities. We're God's direction here at Brian Baptist Church. We need to fast and pray. We need to be seeking God's direction. Maybe some of you are in a quandary over handle a certain situation with children or grandchildren. Maybe with others of you, it's, it's some sort of a quandary over some physical or medical issue or some financial issue or, or direction about um, your, uh, something to do with your occupation. Folks, fast and pray. Fast and pray. Seek God's guidance. When preparing to launch into a ministry venture, in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. By God's grace, we're going to be launching into some new ministry ventures. Even just going into 2024, we'll be launching into some new ministry venture. And uh, we don't know what God has yet for us exactly. And just like I believe that these men were praying, first of all, they were fasting and praying, seeking God's guidance. And when God began to give them that guidance, they realized, all right, this means we're going to launch on the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are going to go on this first missionary journey. And so they're fasting and praying, Lord, as we go on this venture, when Christ, before he entered into his public ministry, he was led of the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And we're not just that testing, but that was also right before he launched into his public earthly ministry. He prepared with that by prayer and fasting. And then also when facing spiritual opposition in Mark 9, 29, remember there that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, goes up on the mount. He's transfigured before him. They literally come down off a mountaintop experience. And in Mark chapter 9, as they calm down off of this mount, they come into the middle of this huge ruckus that's going on. And it's between all these people and Jesus' disciples. And of course, Jesus comes in with his disciples and and he finds out the, the father of a demon-possessed boy comes up to him and he says, Jesus, I, I came to your disciples to cast the demon out of my son and they couldn't do it. And that's why there was all that ruckus going on and all of this uncertainty and all of this noise back and forth. And Jesus talks to the father. Matter of fact, he challenges the father's faith. I love that passage in Mark chapter 9. When this man says, Lord, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus, in the, in the language of the Greek, boomerangs that back on him and says, if thou canst believe. The man said, Lord, if you can do anything. Jesus said, if you can believe. What is the message there? And this is, in, this is a message within a message, okay? Uh, Jesus is saying, listen, it is not contingent upon whether I have the power or not to cast this demon out of your son. That's no question. I am omnipotent God. The question is, will you exercise faith in me to do the impossible? And that man cries out with tears and he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief or assist me against my unbelief. You ever find yourself there? 
You know in your heart the truth of the word of God. You know God has never failed. You know his promises are true. You know they are for you, but you're facing something in your life. And there's doubt mixed with that faith. And you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Assist me against, Lord, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and Lord, I just don't see a way. And, and Lord, I am just struggling here. My, weak, my faith is weak and it's fragile. It's flimsy. But Lord, I want to take that fragile, flimsy faith. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to fast and pray. And I'm going to believe that you can do that which men deem to be impossible. Jesus honored that man's faith and he cast the demon out of that little boy. What great rejoicing. What glory to God. But then the disciples got Jesus aside privately and they said, Lord, why could we not cast him out? And this is what Jesus says to them in verse 29, Mark chapter 9. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. You see, the apostles were not prepared for an unusual, unusually powerful satanic opposition. What are we admonished in Romans by the apostle Paul? We're admonished to put on the armor of God and we are also admonished to watch and pray. Because Satan is a wily enemy and a powerful foe. Now greater is he, the Holy Spirit, who is in you than he that is in the world. Don't have a defeatist attitude. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. We know we're on the winning side. But sometimes in ministry we face unusual opposition. And we don't know when that's going to be, but when we begin to sense it or when we begin to experience it, one of the best things we can do is fall on our faces before the Lord at the time of fasting and prayer. It could be in ministry. It could be in your own life personally. It could be something that you're facing. Uh, often I, I've had friends that have, we've gathered together and covenanted to fast and pray for somebody that we've been witnessing to that we're burdened for, especially if we believe that that person may not have long left on this earth. And then the last question, how should I fast? Well, first of all, what Jesus said in verses 17 and 18 of our passage, do not draw attention to the fact you're fasting, either by appearance or attitude, okay? Now, if you're part of a group that is in agreement to come together to fast and pray uh, over a specific issue for an agreed amount of time, they're already going to know that you're fasting and praying, Okay? But it's not something that you need to broadcast or advertise or go about acting in such a way that people say, are you okay? And you say, well, I'm fasting, you know, and none of that, okay? But, you know, there, there are times too, like, for instance, there have been times when I was going to fast and I would tell my wife because I don't want her to fix a beautiful meal and then it seems like I'm just turning my nose up at it when I'm actually dedicated to, well, I cannot tell my wife, it's a secret, I am fasting and praying. I can tell my wife, she's not going to advertise it. We're not going to post it on Facebook. My husband fasted and prayed today, you know. You don't have to do that kind of foolishness. But it's okay to tell your wife, hey, you know, honey, I'm going to be fasting and praying, um, so I'm not going to be at supper. I'm going to be in, my, in, in the study just praying, spending some time with the Lord. That's fine. There are times. Now, this is, I'm sharing something with you, and please don't mis mistake this in any way. I'm just sharing what, what I do, okay? And it has been an incredible blessing to me. One of the ways that I practice fasting and praying is to stay up all night and fast and pray. And that doesn't mean I don't have a cup of coffee to help me stay awake. Sometimes I will do that. 
but it is a time when most likely I'm not going to be interrupted unless there's an emergency phone call. It is a time when I can fast and pray and seek God's face in a very quiet time. But I let my wife know about that so that all of a sudden she wakes up in the middle of the night and I'm not there. She doesn't think that I'm having some sort of a medical emergency or something or wonder where I've gone, you know. I'll tell if I'm going somewhere else and sometimes I'll do that. Hey, I'm going to this location. I'm going to fast and pray all night. I want you to know so that you don't panic. Okay, so I'm not saying that you can't, but it's something that we don't want to broadcast or advertise. It's not something that we boast about. This is something really where it's a very personal time of fellowship and communion with the Lord, where we're just casting ourselves in an even deeper way in humble dependence on him. By the way, fasting and praying is not a way in which you can more powerfully manipulate God to get your will. Praying always transforms biblical praying, godly praying, always transforms the will of the person who is praying, the supplicant, you might say, then it does change the will of God. God's will is perfect. God's will doesn't need to change. We need to change. Our perspective needs to change. God answers prayer, and we give him glory. And that's another thing. How should I fast and pray? Here's the next thing. Be 100% dedicated to accepting God's answer. Because it may not be the answer you want to hear. Or it might be an answer that you totally didn't expect. But the other part of that is also and in obeying his will when, when he reveals his will. Because often in fasting and praying, if you're seeking for direction and God says, do this, you're like, wait a minute, Lord, that's not what I was asking. And the Lord says, you asked, I'm telling you. I want you to just, and it should be on the screen, we're going to read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 to 23. You remember the story of David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba? She became pregnant in that, uh, through that act of adultery. And the prophet of God said, this child is going to die. But David fasted and he prayed. And we picked this up right after this child died. The Bible says in verse 19, But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house and when he had required, they set bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while he was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. See, it was often as a sign of great mourning and sorrow out of respect for the dead and to show how much they missed that person uh, and that they were overwhelmed with grief. They would not eat. They would fast to show, their, to, grief, to show grief and mourning. So this was unusual. David's servants said, well, while the child was alive, you fasted and prayed. We understand that. But now that the child is dead, you're, you're eating? Listen to David's answer. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. What a wonderful example of somebody who was 100% committed to accepting God's answer to their prayer. And I find it very interesting that David still prayed and said, maybe God would be gracious to me. I'm going to pray for this child's life to be spared. And God said, no, that's not my will. And yet, David worshipped the Lord, anointed himself, ate bread. He accepted. It was, these were all signs of personal acceptance of God's answer to his fasting and prayer. 
Some other things, just some practical things. Don't, please don't endanger your health. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is an instrument or a tool, a vessel for him to use. Now, I don't think that if we fast for a day or two, most of us are going to be endangered of starving to death. I think we probably have enough fat reserves uh, that we could probably last for a couple of days if we, if we fast, right? Some of us. Now, some of you couldn't, okay? But seriously, what am I talking about? Well, I have a brother who has hypoglycemia, which means that in order to regulate his blood sugar and everything, that he has to eat protein every so often, okay? And so the Lord wants you to be a good steward of your body. I do not believe that you should endanger or, or threaten your long-term health through fasting from food. It may be that you fast from most foods, but you take, I don't know about diabetes, but it may be that there is something diabetic where it would be this, uh, something similar. I don't know. But it may be that for certain people, you have an unusual physical issue and where you could not do that. Or uh, you, have a, a, you have a challenge physically with sleep. And for you to stay up all night fasting and praying would truly endanger or jeopardize your health, maybe even endanger your life. Please don't do that. Okay, God still ultimately knows the sincerity of your heart. Fasting and praying is not about proving to God how sincere you are. It's more about you communing with God and letting him reveal himself to you and show you who you really are. And it is incredibly revealing time when you fast and pray of who God is and who you are. And it is a challenging time and a time where you come out of it with a greater desire to be transformed into Christ's image. And then, this is one, probably one of the questions that I, I would get asked the most, how often and for how long should I fast? That's between you and the Lord, okay? Uh, it could be for one meal, it could be for a day, it could be for a week, it could be overnight, okay? That's between you and the Lord. It could be that you fast from one meal a day for a week, and every day during that time when you would eat that meal or even take the time to prepare that meal. Now. In this microwave age, you know, uh, a meal can be prepared pr fairly quickly. You can heat up leftovers or whatever in the microwave in two minutes, boom, you've got a meal. But back in Bible time, it took a lot of time to prepare a meal. So in the time that would have been used to prepare the meal being set aside, you could pray. In the time in eating the meal, um, you could pray and set that aside, okay? So it could be that it's just one meal a day for a week. It could be that you just... Uh, that, that you fast from all of those things. There are other options as well. But folks, the idea is that uh, this is something that is not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of focused commitment. It is always connected with prayer. And it is not a manipulative tool to get your way with God. But it is a, a discipline. It is a biblical discipline that ought to be a part of our life. Other things that Jesus addresses in here are prayer and, and giving. And he also addresses fasting right along with it. God expects this to be a normal part of our Christian walk. And I trust it will be a part of yours. So, this is my final challenge. This is how we're going to apply the Word of God tonight. And this is just a challenge. But I'm going to ask you, if you're a part of Berean Baptist Church in any way, to set aside some time between now and the end of the year to pray for God to use our church to accomplish His will for us and through us as we move into 2024. So if you would pray, fast and pray, set aside that time between now and the end of the year and just pray for, may pray for your family, pray for yourself, 
but pray for Berean Baptist Church. Let's together do that. And I'm not calling a group fast. That's up to you individually. But I'm just challenging you to do that and, and to pray uh, and to fast and to see how God will change you and how he'll change your heart and what he might stir up in your heart through that uh, as we seek God's face, where we seek his will, seek his guidance, and seek his power and his blessing. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? And then Pastor Mike will come and dismiss us with a closing chorus. Um, I'm going to ask the Dalhousens, um, while we're singing in just a moment, if they'll head back to their display, please go back and visit with them, ask your questions, fellowship with them, encourage them. And then uh, missions committee members, remember that we have our meeting in the library <coughs> a few minutes after the uh, service has been dismissed. Shall we pray? Lord, may we submit to your Holy Spirit in this matter of fasting. We don't do it to manipulate you, for you cannot and will not be manipulated. You will receive the glory. Your will shall be done. Part of the pattern prayer that we were studying on Wednesday nights a while back was to ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, as we seek your face for guidance, when we face unusual spiritual opposition or attack, when we're going to launch into a new era or a new area of ministry, when we're just wanting to spend extra time with you in a more focused way, pouring out our heart before you and listening for the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord, I pray that part of the strength of our church is that we will have people that are dedicated to fasting and praying. Not like the Pharisees or the hypocrites to be seen of men. Not because we think that somehow we'll get extra blessings because we took an extra step. But simply because you expect it of us. Because of the incredible blessings of the work that you do in us when we practice this. Uh, and because you are honored through it. And so, Lord, I, I would pray that you would stir the hearts of our people, that we would take and set aside a portion of time and fast and pray specifically for your work in us at Berean, that you would strengthen us as a church so that then we will grow in our effectiveness with the gospel as we reach our community with the gospel and make and build disciples for the furtherance and the continuing work of your kingdom on earth while we have this opportunity. Lord, would you find us faithful until you come back for us either in death or the rapture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand with me, uh, Dalhousens, if you'll head to the back, and we'll dismiss by uh, Pastor Mike leading us in a closing chorus. Let's sing the first verse of the first Noel 213.